0: Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 112. What makes Royal Caribbean cruise ships so beautiful and unique are the exquisite art collections guests can find on board. Each ship in Royal Caribbean's fleet has its own array of art that spans many eras and styles. This week, we get the chance to talk to one artist that has contributed art across so many of Royal Caribbean's mega ships, American designer Larry Kirkland, Oasis of the Seas, Freedom of the Seas, Voyager to the Seas, Splendor of the Seas, and many more Royal Caribbean ships all have had contributions by Mr. Kirkland on board. And it's a unique and firsthand look at the creation of these signature designs that so many guests have come to enjoy and photograph time and time again. Here we go. As part of our continuing series, where we get the opportunity to meet some of the very talented folks that have had a hand in creating the Royal Caribbean ships we've come to enjoy trip after trip, I'm pleased to welcome someone whose accomplishments working with Royal Caribbean over the years are truly impressive. For over 18 years, Larry Kirkland has contributed works of art and design to Royal Caribbean ships and cruise terminals such as Oasis of the Seas, Voyager of the Seas, Navigator of the Seas, Freedom of the Seas, and even the Port Everglades Terminal 18, I'm so pleased to welcome artist and sculptor, Larry Kirkland, to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Well, thank you very much, Larry, for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm very excited to have you on here to talk with you, and uh, you know, you have really a long and remarkable career working with Royal Caribbean, but before we get to talk about some of your accomplishments and even some specific projects, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started working on cruise ship art? It seems like kind of a very niche kind of uh, area.
1: Um yeah it was kind of a surprise to me as well. I I had I have done a, a number of large suspended projects um early in my career in the 80s and the 90s uh, around the world and um I was approached by an art consultant out of Oslo, Norway um because they were beginning to work on some of these ships. And the Splendor of the Seas was a, uh, a brand-new ship that was being built in the mid-'90s. And for the first time, it had a very large atrium space that went through about six of the decks in the center of the ship. And the Norwegian architect, Newell Ida, um, had, had in his mind that there was going to be some piece of artwork that was going to be in that space. So I was asked if I would be interested, and I said, yes, but this isn't typical to suspend something in there. A ship moves around, and you don't want the artwork to be moving around with the ship. <laughs> so it it really became um, kind of a marriage between engineering and aesthetics to to get the first one to work. Um, and in many ways, that first one I think was was one of my favorites. It, it um, and for a long time, I think it was a real favorite of Royal Caribbean as well. It was voted their favorite artwork on the ships, um, and and one of their employee voting um, um, scenarios that they had. So what we did was to create very, very special tensioning cables that were attached both at the very top and then stretched down and, and attached at the very bottom through six decks. And this allowed the work to kind of breathe like a, a leaf spring on your automobile, if you right. are familiar with how those things work. Right. So the, the piece was stable in the space, but it, it was allowed to breathe like a diaphragm um, as -hmm. the ship has pitch, roll, and yaw. And maybe on some blog you could discuss what pitch, roll, and yaw really are.
0: Absolutely. That's really interesting to look at, especially because, you know, it's kind of a blend of you as an artist kind of designing something, but also you have to kind of curtail to the requirements of the project, right? It's not like, you know, this is a freestanding piece of art. In a museum in, you know, Chicago, right? That's just gonna sit there forever and never be touched. I mean this, you know, it's gotta it's gotta live on the ship, so to speak. And yeah. obviously that brings a lot of um, you know requirements as you kinda just talked about. Did the you know, when you're looking at it, not necessarily just this piece on Splendor, but on other ships in general, when you're designing stuff, does it do you have to take that into consideration? Like did you have an idea like, oh, I could totally imagine doing X? but X is totally not feasible at all on a cruise ship and you have to go back to the drawing board or is it just a matter of just kind of making some small adjustments?
1: Um, I I don't, I I have a very specific way of working and that is to, before I put any ideas out there, I want to understand the space, the site, and the people who are making decisions. I, I don't want to just start, pitching ideas. I I really want to understand what they're hoping the passengers are going to experience. I need to understand the engineering. I need to understand what's feasible. Um, We need to make sure that this is going to be safe and that it's going to provide the wow factor that everybody's hoping for it. Um, And it also has to be built and built, taken apart, shipped and then installed while the ship is being made, which is, um, and that's pretty crazy because the ship is just crawling with people. Um, Everybody's on top of each other and trying to get a large piece of artwork installed that's covered in 24-karat gold so that nobody's going to touch it and scratch it. Mm -hmm. That that was really, really um, something to do. It was, it was, it took the best crews possible, and it took um, a lot of patience and uh, a, a lot of um, smart thinking ahead to make sure that the whole process went well. But the, the pieces are very, very site-specific, and that's, that's a term that we use in, in public art, that something is very specific to a site. You just can't take it away and put, put it someplace else because it's really built into that space.
0: Interesting. So when you're, and part of that, I think this goes back into maybe what you were just saying about, you know, you ask a lot of questions, right? You're not just, you know, spit, spitballing ideas. How much of an idea do you have about the space you're going to design in? Uh, let's give you an example. Let's go back to the Splendor of the Seas idea uh, again, one more time. I mean, do you have like concept art? Do you have just a couple of napkin designs? Um, do you have, I mean, are you coming in really late in the stage and it's already built and they're like, here it is, have at no. it? I mean, where, how does it work no, exactly?
1: I, I'm, I, get in, I get involved in any project I do in the planning stages of the, of the ship or the building um, and, and work with the whole design team to make sure that I'm integrating something into that space. Um, the piece for Splendor, I, I was in Norway, in Oslo, um, working with the ship designers and actually came up with the idea and built a model of it there in their offices. And, and I, often, I often build a model of the entire space. We built a model of, for Splendor. In fact, of all the ships I've worked on, we've built models of, of the spaces that are quite large. Um, you can get into, the, into these spaces um, and then we'll build a model of the artwork so that we can work out some of the engineering, we can work out the sight lines and and then share those with the decision makers.
0: Great. Well, you know, one of the things, Larry, that I really want to talk to you about, something that has really piqued my interest, uh, and I know a lot of our listeners as well, is uh, some of the work that you've done on Oasis of the Seas, and, you know, there's so much that I can and would love to talk to you about, but specifically, one of the creations that really stands out is the Small Wonders exhibit. And this is an amazing exhibit that I first discovered on Oasis at the Seas, where 42 almost microscopic pieces are displayed all over the ship, but you gotta find them. And to me, this is one of the coolest things that I think a lot of guests overlook, but everyone that finds it usually, you know, has the same reaction that wow, isn't this really cool? How can I find the other 41 of them? So, how did you come up with the concept for Small Wonders?
1: Um, well, the, the Oasis and Freedom is it Freedom? Those are the two sister ships. Oasis we're the and first, Yeah, and Allure. They were the first two kind of mega ships. The previous uh, class of ships that I worked on were were much smaller, and and on all those ships, there was a big atrium, and so I worked on the atriums and um on Navigator, I also got to do all the landings and I think in some ways, the landings on navigator are are some of my favorite pieces um, they're they're very, very high quality they're engraved granite, and these these boxes that hold butterflies or fossils or, or minerals and it was really quite interesting and fun to do and it was because of that that when they started building the much larger um, ships, the art consultant said, well there's no atriums here we really want to create something that's kind of like a thread that would take you through the ship and my feeling was if you're going to be on a ship with all these other people. What could I do as an artist that could make something that only you could experience by yourself and nobody else could experience it with you at that same time? So that's where the Small Wonders idea came about, that here are these little tiny, tiny treasures on this great big ship, and it is a one-on-one experience with one... One passenger being engaged with this thing, and they would have to talk about it to somebody else. They couldn't look at it together, so that's kind of where it came about.
0: Interesting. Um, as I mentioned, the small wonders are very tiny, so the viewing mechanisms you find that come in the form of these bronze telescopes or enormous bronze circular bronze discs that magnify their image. How how were they created? How how did you did you create them? Did you how, yeah. how are these, what's the what's the creation process for this?
1: Um, the creation process was uh, working with the Walla Walla Bronze Foundry and they're in Walla Walla, Washington and one of probably the best art foundry in the country, if not the world right now. The top artists in the world work with them out in this remote town. And so we created this this sculptural element that looks like a telescope, and that inside it is uh, a canister that has a magnifying lens on the top, and it has LEDs built into it that you cannot see. And this canister, all of these pieces um, were assembled by some assistants that I use in Portland, Oregon. And I began to just search all over for unique, small, natural wonders for the first ship. And then the second were um, man-made miniature pieces. Hmm. So um, I just started to collect. And as an artist, I'm also a collector. And so finding small wonders was, was being a... A museum curator. It was really great fun just to go out and and find these amazing tiny things.
0: Interesting. Now, they, as I mentioned, these are placed all over the ship, so they're not just you know in a row or anything like that. You got to literally you have to go search for them, and in many cases they're somewhat hidden. Uh, is there any logic or pattern to each how each small wonder was placed on board the ship? Was that your decision, or was that a Royal Caribbean decision?
1: It was a. It was. Caribbean decision, and it was mainly uh, a decision as to where they could get power. Oh, um, and 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 because it, it was, they were a little bit late in placing them, and so the ship was well underway and getting power to places on the ship is tough because they're all steel, and you've got to cut through the plates of steel, which compromised that. So. In some cases, um, it, it was pretty easy to get power to them. In other cases, not so easy. And so, in some ways, that kind of determined where they might go.
0: Interesting. Now, your work uh, for Royal Caribbean extends well beyond just the Oasis-class ships. Voyager of the Seas features the Dancer and the Tutu, which consists of two integrated right. sculptures of stainless steel. A uh, Freedom of the Seas, is one of my favorite ones. I love this. It's the four elements, which I think many guests who are listening right now will remember. It's part of that light bridge. That's right next to the Royal Promenade. And, you know, as someone with absolutely no artistic vision whatsoever, <laughs> I'm always really interested to know, when you have to design something for a new Royal Caribbean ship, where do you start with in terms of coming up with these concepts? Because they're not, they're not all that much alike in terms of, you know, they're not just a continuation of one on top of another. They're very different, very unique pieces of art. Uh,
1: it usually starts with a conversation with the art consultant, and sometimes Royal Caribbean, uh, at the top levels, would have decided that this ship was going to be about a certain theme and could the artwork help to carry through that theme. Um, and that was, that's really true on the freedom that was the four elements. And, um, and they, they tried to, to get all the art to have something to do with... Um, Water, fire, Earth, air, and so that was that was something that all the artists were tasked with and that's It's not just true on ships; it's true in all kinds of um, public spaces where there'll be a thematic um, element that's going to go through this. I worked on a a Brig project in Denver for the city of Denver where they built a new civic office building. And I was the lead artist of 10 artists. And so we decided that each one of the artists would choose a tool for building the city as as something that they would work with conceptually. Hmm. And that, that's, that's that's not untypical in terms of doing a site-specific public artwork.
0: Makes sense. Uh, you know, and certainly... It's really amazing because again the the one that that struck me I mean the, the small wonders was just cool like I just kind of like really gravitated towards that you know just as a it has you know I mean there's an artistic part of it but I just enjoyed it you know from a from just an a, a entertainment aspect but you know the the one on freedom of the seas I was on and I was I've been you know I've been seen it many times and I've been looked past and I was wondering you know it got me thinking why is it here like what's there's got to be a significance to it it's not just someone thought you know a bunch of lights and stuff make you know for a neat Bridge. There must be a reason for it, and after I started learning about the the idea behind it, it totally made sense. And you know, I was I was in an elevator, and I mentioned to my wife. You know, we were right by the right by your, the the four elements, and I mentioned, "Oh, do you know why there are four ele- Why it's there?" And I start mentioning it, and the other guests in the in the elevator overhearing my conversation with my wife started asking, "Like, oh, is that right?" What? And we start talking about it, and it's so cool that there's you know, there's it's not just you know paint it, it's it's about telling a story almost and you know that that's kind of be really obviously it's a testament to your work and and it's a very cool thing to do and it kind of got me thinking also Larry you know each week literally thousands of cruisers will see your art on board a royal caribbean ship what does that mean to you in terms of that your arc will continue to endure and get people thinking at such great numbers you know week after week after year after year
1: um you know, that's all part of the process is um, trying to understand that this is going to be part of a passenger experience. And I, I do work in all kinds of places. Um, I bet uh, I bet you have seen work of mine that you didn't even know was mine. Probably. Um, <laughs> I see that you call me from New York City. I have a, I have a big environment at Penn Station for New Jersey Transit. Mm-hmm. that hundreds of thousands of people a day go by it. And whenever I'm there, it's kind of interesting to see and observe that who stops and, and gets engaged by it and who rushes by. Huh. Um, and and that's, that's all part of the artistic process is
0: okay.
1: how do we engage the public and um, how can we stimulate some thinking? Um, I don't want to make just something beautiful. I want to make something that's engaging and that is thought-provoking and that, that gets you to have a conversation with your wife or other passengers that you might not otherwise have.
0: Absolutely. That's wonderful. So let me ask you be- quickly before we let you go here. You mentioned already the piece on Splinter. It seems like it's a favorite of yours, but could you pick out is, – is that your top favorite or is there, is there one or two others of work that you've done for Royal Caribbean that really stands out in your mind – as something that, you know, you, I'm sure you're proud of all your work, but, you know, really, it's something that you really hang your hat on and, and really think back on it fondly.
1: Yeah, I think that the work in Freedom is, is was really, really well handled. And I love doing the Small Wonders. And I think the Small Wonders um, have really engaged people. I've, I, I've About two years ago, I got um, on my website uh, a Mexican cruise passenger from Mexico City contacted me and he he loved the small wonders and he had taken he was a photographer and he had taken photographs of each one of them and and that was that that was a nice treat for me to understand that they really did reach out to people.
0: Wow, that's wonderful, and again, your creativity and brilliance on these amazing visual works you've created on Royal Caribbean ships is something that I can really say is appreciated by all Royal Caribbean guests to this day, and I personally want to say thank you for everything you've done on board these ships.
1: Well, thank you. It was, uh, it was an honor to, to be chosen by Royal Caribbean to do so many of these ships, and um And they let me see the world. I got to work in France, and I got to work in Finland, and I got to work in Norway, and all of those were great experiences.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time.
1: You bet. Thank you.
0: Each week on the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, I invite each and every one of you to join me virtually to talk about taking a Royal Caribbean cruise. And of course, your participation in this podcast is not just limited to just emails. I, of course, always make sure I thank each and every one of you that leave reviews for me on iTunes. It's one of the easiest and best ways to kind of say thank you because it's basically the way that other people can discover the podcast, we can grow, and we can get more people involved and get more input and awesome information, which I just love. So... Big thank you to that, and actually, one of our listeners, uh, Ian from Australia, sent me an email and said, "Matt, there's actually some other reviews that you can only see that are country-specific." And Ian from the, from Australia sent me a couple of reviews from Australia, and I love this, so I'm going to read actually three reviews from Australia so thank you to everyone down under for supporting the podcast first is from Oz Assassin who writes if you like cruising you'll love Matt's podcast they're unbiased informative and professionally made in fact they're made so well at first I honestly thought Matt was being paid by Royal Caribbean to make them well done Matt you put the wow in Royal Caribbean thank you so much And rest assured, I am not being paid by Royal Caribbean or anyone really to do this. This is just something I do for fun. Next, we have a review from Frisbee Dogs. Matt Hotchberg's independent podcast and related blog site, All About Things Royal Caribbean, provides a ton of valuable information for people going on a cruise. Whether it's your first Royal Caribbean cruise or you are loyal to Royal, the library of dozens of podcasts will answer most any questions you might have and give you a wealth of tips on how to save money and enhance your Royal Caribbean experience. If you're cruising with Royal Caribbean, this is golden. But even if you're going on board another cruise line, there will be podcasts that will provide lots of valuable information. These podcasts are very well organized and scripted, and Matt's vibrant personality makes them enjoyable as well as extremely informative. And we also have a review, lastly, from Ian Chaos. I think this is the Ian who sent us the email, and Ian writes, I have only been listening to this podcast for a couple of months, but wow, what a great source of information on a range of Royal Caribbean ships and ports of call. Matt's enthusiasm is both entertaining and contagious. Although I have only cruised on Celebrity, I am very tempted to book a Royal Caribbean cruise. Thanks, Matt. Ian, thank you for providing not only your review, but the other two reviews we got a chance to read. And... You know what, Ian, you're going to lead us right into my favorite part of the show. Each and every week, we're going to answer your emails on our first. This is from Ian, who not only sent us those reviews we just talked about, but he also has some comments here. He writes, while talking of Australia, it's a very exciting time to be a cruise fan in Australia with an even increasing number of ships being based here. This coming summer, or winter in the United States, we'll have two Voyager-class ships, Voyager and Explorer of the Seas, as well as Radiant of the Seas, all sailing from Sydney, which is my hometown. We're also going to have Legend of the Seas cruising from Brisbane. City will be the proud home port of Ovation of the Seas from late 2016 for that summer season. We'll also be hosting Celebrity Solstice and a few other transition cruises with the Celebrity Millennium. There will also be many ships from other lines, names won't be mentioned. <laughs> I'm out of breath just listening to them all. Thanks for keeping the entertainment going. I will try Roller Caribbean one day, but I'm still hooked on Celebrity for now. Ian, look. There's nothing wrong with Celebrity, obviously, a sister brand of Royal Caribbean. I will tell you that I think you got to try out those new ships that are coming down there. I mean, you've got so many choices, so much opportunity. You got to embrace it. Maybe what you do is you continue sell, uh, cruising with, you know, Celebrity and getting your fix in there, but maybe you try Royal Caribbean ship. Maybe you try the new, you know, you could try out uh, the new Ovation Seas when that comes out there in 2016, or try some of the, you know, Explore and, and Voyager Seas, were both recently refurbished so there's kind of new even though they're not new uh, I would definitely recommend giving it a try Ian. and and you know what I think as I, I think you speak for a lot of Australians in fact and, and people from New Zealand as well and basically anyone in really Southeast Asia where you've got probably the most cruising opportunities you've ever had and certainly in any kind of recent times so this is a wonderful time for you guys embrace it hope you all enjoy it, and hope that many other Australians get a chance to check it out as well so thank you so much for the email Ian Next, we have an email from Phil DeLucia who writes, I'm going on the Wastes of the Seas from October 11th to the 17th. When we get back to the port on the 17th, our flight to Westchester County doesn't leave until 6.30 p.m. I really don't want to hang out at the airport that long. If we get to the airport early and check in our bags, is there anything we can do in and around the airport in Fort Lauderdale? I was even considering renting a car for the day just to keep our luggage in and travel around the city. Any suggestions? Also, I've been trying to book the high speed Wi Fi for the trip, and no matter what credit card I use, it won't accept it. Should I just wait to get on board the ship, or is there an advantage to booking the Wi Fi earlier? Thanks for your help and the podcasts. P.S. say hi to the two mics and lend for me. (laughs) Will do, Phil. Good to hear from you. So, here's let me answer your question backwards. First, start with the Wi Fi. If it doesn't work for you booking it online, I wouldn't worry. There's absolutely no benefit to booking it in advance online other than you get to pay it off in advance. So, if you book it right now and then your cruise comes, let's say next year, Obviously, that's one less thing you have to worry about in terms of a bill coming next year. But I would tell you that there's really no advantage otherwise. In fact, Phil, I'm not sure if you've ever cruised the Royal Caribbean before, but if you have, and you're a Crown and Anchor Society member, you're going to be getting a discount in those little in your CPAS card, those little discounts. Usually, when you get to embarkation, they usually have a... used to have this coupon book that they would give you. Now, all these discounts that are available only to Crown and Anchor members are loaded onto your CPAS account, and you go there, and you just apply it right on the spot. There's no paper to remember you just bring your cpass account swipe it and you're good and if you are a crown and anchor society member you'll be able to save some money on the wi-fi packages by waiting to book on board that's why i always do the same thing phil i wait for on board even though i might prefer to break up the cost of the cruise in advance to me having those discounts that are only available when you first get on the ship it's just the way to go so let's go with it that way In terms of what to do in Fort Lauderdale after your cruise, but before your flight that day, I think renting a car is not a bad idea. Actually, a taxi might not be a better idea, although you bring up the point of the luggage. So if you can find a decent rate for a rental car, that wouldn't be bad to do. A couple things to keep in mind. Number one, Royal Caribbean does provide shore excursions for uh, Port, (laughs) Port Port Everglades, Fort Lauderdale. There you go. I always confuse Port and Fort for some reason. It's some weird thing about my brain. It doesn't compute. Anyway, enough about me. Uh, So I would look at what Royal Caribbean offers in terms of shore excursions. Just go to your cruise planner on the Royal Caribbean website, or you can even do it on board the ship and check it out there. But there's a bunch of excursions that will be offered to you. Something that a lot of people always gravitate towards is basically taking your rental car or a taxi over to Los Olas Boulevard, and you can easily spend hours there walking around. There's shopping. There's dining. There's just a, a lot, really, in terms of what this little area encompasses. And uh, it's really not a bad idea in in terms of just being able to people watch, dine. There's art galleries. There's a lot to do, basically. It's kind of a center of hub for Fort Lauderdale. Of course, you could expand your horizons a little bit if you do have that rental car. Go over to Miami. Miami is a very short ride from Fort Lauderdale, and that expands your options even greater than that. I mean, obviously, there's – I mean, it goes without saying almost that there's obviously beaches in fort lauderdale and miami that are just beautiful so i would probably spend my time either in fort lauderdale at you know uh los alas boulevard or going down to miami i might be tempted to miami honestly just go down to south beach walk around eat you know you i you can easily burn a lot of time doing that and i think that might be a good way to spend your time there so i'm very excited for you phil have a great time on the cruise and sounds like you got some good plans lined up even after your cruise Next, we have an email from Paul Westbrook of East Brunswick, New Jersey. Matt, I can't thank you enough. Just had another great cruise on Liberty of the Seas July 30th through August 8th. Your knowledge, listener email shows all help make it so much better. But I also want to send you a big thank you from the stateroom of the unknown Royal Caribbean blog podcast beneficiary. Long story short, my family knows I listen to your podcast religiously. This includes blasting it from no matter where I am at when I'm at home in some time. Well, when they stepped into the Labadee Cabana, they said, wow, this is worth all the podcasts we've had to listen to you listening to. I tried to tell them it would be fun for them to listen to it too, but for now, baby steps. The San Juan show also made me look like a genius to them, and that doesn't happen often. By the way, please relay to Michael Poole that I may be switching from Coco K to Labadee as my new favorite. Beware the dark side, and have a Labadoozy while I'll be wearing. <laughs> also, quick thank you to two listeners on the show who helped out my summer. Nick Vitani, who's at Nick Vitani on Twitter, for some great last-minute help with Horseshoe Bay Beach, and Mike Eads, who's Sonic15E on Twitter, for some help with navigating Florida roads in early July. And Matt, your Florida Turnpike help was also much appreciated. Thanks for everything. Paul, that is awesome. I'm so glad we could help you be the hero of your family, be the person who they look to as, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about, and obviously just having a great vacation overall. I, that to me, that's just wonderful. And and if we can help one person on this podcast, then we've achieved our goal. And and it sounds like we've definitely done that with you. So kudos. And I'm hoping that your family will slowly start to gravitate towards listening as well. Hey, you know, it, it's like you said, it's baby steps. Maybe it's not today, but maybe eventually they'll start listening on their own. But I'm glad you had a great trip, Paul. Thank you so much for the feedback. I love hearing this stuff. So much appreciated. Thank you, sir, for always listening and continuing to listen each and every week. Next up, we have an email from Chris from Chicago. Hey, Matt, less than six months to our fifth Royal Caribbean cruise. We'll be on the Oasis of the Seas for the first time. We've reached Emerald status, small step, but we are excited. So I've been reminded following the blog news regarding the water slide announcements. I'm say, I am have to say I'm kind of conflicted. The slides look awesome. It's something I feel Royal Caribbean needs. But now that I'm looking at the renderings, it doesn't seem right. It reminds me of some carnival ships, which look like everything is an afterthought. The water slides seem like a bit of an eyesore, not really integrated into the ship, just plopped down. I guess I'm just used to visit views no matter where you are on the pool deck. Am I being weird? Am I just being adverse to change? I'm curious what your thoughts and other listeners are as well about these water slides. This is a great email, Chris. You know what? I had the same thought about these water slides because as many of you probably are aware, Royal Caribbean is adding water slides to its Oasis class Ship, starting with Harmony of the Seas. That's really the big one that's getting it. And Royal Caribbean has indicated that they'd like to add the water slides to other Royal Caribbean ships as well, especially the other Oasis class ships. And basically there are three main water slides that are being added. They start out up on near central park uh, on the very top deck, obviously near the pool deck. And they kind of descend all the way down. And it's obviously a change. I think there's a couple things to keep in mind, Chris, number one, all we've had up till now has been artist rendering. So let's wait and see what the final product looks. You never know what's going to happen. In fact, I'm pretty sure one or two of the slide's colors have changed at least once or twice since the first renderings came out. So I have to, I'm going to reserve judgment until we see the final product and see how it works. I think that I'm with you in the sense that, you know what, they. I think these ships that do need water slides, something that for families, especially kids and and grown men who record podcasts uh, would really enjoy on on a Royal Caribbean ship because it's just a cool thing to do. It's something that's very much an industry standard now. I mean, really almost every cruise line I can think of of the mainstream cruise lines has water slides uh, available on them. So this just makes perfect sense. Now in terms of how they're doing it and integrating it, you know, I have faith that the engineers and and the Royal Caribbean team that's working on this new build really are going to be able to work this in well and not just, you know, they're not just buying a water slide off the rack, slapping it up there and be like, well, this is good enough. You know, they really want to make sure that this works from all aspects, design, guest experience, you know, aesthetics and all that. And, like I said, I've got a little bit of faith here that Royal Caribbean is going to do the right thing, and, and we'll have to wait and see what it actually looks like. But I, I think that it's maybe also the other thing is we're just so used to not seeing water slides at all that we've been conditioned almost to think that you know, if we do see them, it looks weird. But I really believe that it's going to be a really great addition to these Royal Caribbean ships, something that a lot of people are going to look forward to doing, and, and it's going to become part of you know the way that we talk about eating in the main dining room or going on the Flow Rider or going ice skating, water slides are going to become a quintessential part of Royal Caribbean Cruise, and I think we just need to, you know, see it in action in order for that kind of thought process to start taking hold. So, hope that answers your email there, Chris. Great thoughts, though. I love hearing about it. Thank you for sending us the email. Next, we have an email from Luke from Australia, another Australian. Hey, it's wonderful. We're making it big in Australia. (laughs) Just listened to episode 106 and wanted to correct you about the Crab Shack. We were on ratings of the season in January for an Australian cruise, and it was still the Crab Shack. We spoke to the manager, and she said they planned to leave it as the Crab Shack year-round. Having said that, it wasn't the busiest restaurant on the ship, so who knows if that will change. We loved it, though. Speaking of restaurants, I know most of them are cheaper for lunch. Is that the case for Izumi? Luke, great email. Thank you for the question, by the way, about Radiance of the Sea. So if, just to go back and understand what Luke is talking about here. On Radiance of the sea, the first thing, when Royal Caribbean added a new restaurant there, they added uh, Rita's Cantina. And it was obviously, it's not obviously a Mexican restaurant. When Radiance of the Sea went up to Alaska, they converted over, at least seasonally, to Rita's Crab Shack. And the idea being, well, if you're going to Australia, it probably makes more sense to serve crab legs than it does to serve... Mexican food. <laughs> and it sounds like when ratings of the season now, Lucas saying is now gonna be all the time it's gonna be Rita's Crab Shack and no longer Rita's Cantina. Hey, Royal Caribbean's always changing. I think that's actually something I really enjoy about Royal Caribbean. They're not they're not afraid to say, let's try something different. Let's let's change it up. Let's you know, this isn't perfect. Let's make it closer to perfect or let's you know, always trying to make it as perfect as possible. And hey, if, if people are more gravitating towards than crab legs than they are chips and salsa more power to them. I love it. So Luke, your question though about uh, in terms of Izumi cheaper for lunch. The answer is I don't believe it's cheaper for lunch. There is a different menu for lunch on to give you an example on Navigator of the Seas. They had a smaller menu for lunch. This is typical of most uh, most Royal Caribbean restaurants. You're going to have a slight difference in menu in addition to just maybe price. I don't think there's a difference in price because after all Izumi is an a la carte restaurant. There is no change in terms of uh, you know, there's no cover charge, so what you get in terms of the food for lunch or dinner exactly the same. The major difference for a zumi between lunch and dinner is you're not going to have any of the non-sushi stuff for lunch. So for for lunch, you're stuck with basically only sushi. I say basically because there were a couple other things that were on the menu, but they didn't have the hot rocks. That's really the big one that we went there with my wife. She loves those things. Basically, they're these large uh, rocks <laughs> that are heated up to some ungodly temperature. I think it's like 300 degrees Celsius or something like that. And they give you raw meat and vegetables to cook the food on the rock and then you eat it. And it's really, really good. It's Not only is it fun, it, is, it tastes really, really good. They didn't have that for lunch. It was only a dinner thing. So again, there's a little bit of difference in terms of what's available. But in terms of price for Izumi, there should not be any difference in price there. Good question, though. I appreciate it. Thank you, Luke. And I think that's going to round out this week's episode. Thank you all so much for being a part of it. I love hearing from all of you. Thank you so much. And hey, if you got a question, a comment, uh, a thought, a question, I have said question because maybe you have more than one question, uh, maybe I'm wrong about something, Whatever the, whatever's on your mind about Royal Caribbean, let's talk about it. Send me an email, matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.